Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Lethbridge Stewart as he defends New York and Hell's Kitchen from Yeti in episode number 308. All right. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I am at the end of a very long week. <laughs> this is just been, been a long week, huh? been a long week. It's been mentally and physically taxing. and I'm exhausted. I'm still in good spirits. But I'm going to shoo you gentlemen off when we're done and go to bed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only I could do that, too. Mm, I sympathize. Yeah, yeah. Not really. <laughs> I'm glad it's you and not me. <laughs> I've gotten used to it at this point. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, after almost two months, you know, <laughs> or over two months, I guess it has been. Here in the uh, home stretch here. Yeah. So they say. <laughs> so they say. Someone we'll see. Quits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened the last three days. I've been on vacation. Yeah, how, was your, so. how were your days <laughs> off? It was good. I got a lot of hot stuff done around the house, cleaning up and... So Wednesday, I came over to uh, Sean's and recorded a uh, Flicks with Friends. That was oh. a lot of fun. Be looking Excellent. for that uh, when? Around Christmas? Uh, Christmas is the projected start date. So. Your episode will not air on right, Christmas, right. obviously. But, but look for the series starting. Look, look for the series. I'm excited. That was a lot of fun. Um, Thursday night, we went and saw my dad and my sister. They're in It's a Wonderful Life at TCT. And it was a charming show and just uh, stays beat by beat line by line with the movie i was really shocked that it wasn't truncated or anything it was pretty much pretty much in line with the the movie which was pretty interesting Hmm. um and then we didn't do much else we did holly and i did some christmas shopping while the kids were at their performances because they closed uh dear santa this weekend and the kids and i made a gingerbread house today so Get it already. Still got a little bit to do, but it's this is the first Christmas I think I've been so far ahead of the game. We've got almost all of our Christmas presents bought and wrapped. We have the house almost completely cleaned, uh, top to bottom. It's and we're still two weekends out, so yeah. it's Christmas. So. Feeling pretty good about that. We're almost done with all of our shopping too. We're just waiting for some things to be delivered. Mm-hmm. I spent all Saturday night pretty much wrapping presents. Got them all done though, aside from those that haven't been delivered. And those we haven't bought yet, obviously. Right. Um, but we we wrapped. I wrapped to uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, and then Nightmare Before Christmas. Took me two movies this year to get it all done. <laughs> Cody was a big helper. You know, he had to come interrupt me every so often. What are you doing? You got food down here? <laughs> well, we're we're actually in the same boat. There's very little left. I've got like I think four presents left that I need to just pick up, and I'm done. And everything's wrapped, and we spent yesterday decorating, which, uh, what did we watch? We watched Home Alone, Home Alone 2, we watched The Year Without a Santa Claus, and we watched Funny Farm, which is on my list of suddenly realized, oh my god, that is a Christmas movie. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen Funny Farm. I'll loan it to you if you want. I've watched it now. Okay. It's a funny movie. Sean likes it because it's about a guy who buys a farm so he can be a writer. Chuck <laughs> <laughs> Chase. Polarity ensues. <laughs> Not much writing happens. <laughs> well, it is a farm. But we watched that and got uh, the snowy village up and the Christmas tree and all the ancillary Looks stuff. Looks great. Yeah, Thanks. it does. Very festive. So Glenn's not mad at me this week. Nope. I like coming into 
a house decked out for Christmas. There's nothing better. <laughs> nothing more warm and inviting. Well, let's move on to news. Our first bit of news is uh, the good folks at Candy Jar have a sale going on for the Lethbridge Stewart line. Uh, you can pre-order Mind of Stone and get the latest and get Blood of Atlantis for only five pounds. Or you can uh, bundle up Time Squared and Forgotten Sun for eight ninety nine pounds. Or Moonblink and Beast of Hang Rock for the same price. Uh, there's also Connecting Who and uh, ta- Space Time Machine Monster, which is kind of their Doctor Who related books, but not more non the nonfiction aspect of them for the same price. But they're also offering uh, there's a competition to an original Lethbridge Stewart art. Uh, all you have to do is complete this phrase, phrase, chap with wings, and when you buy any candy jar book, quote comp, quote comp and put your answer in and then you will automatically be entered for a prize drawing. So you go online and you order the books, you type comp like competition. Yes. Comp. Chap with wings and you finish that statement. Chap with wings blank. And then you get entered to win this. And it's, have you seen it? It's gorgeous. It's, it's a really, really slick looking piece of Lethbridge Stewart art. Yeah. Donated, uh, I believe it's from the guy that's doing the current art series. It doesn't look like the book style now. It's something that he's kind of done on his own, but it's 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 nice. It's a good piece of art. It is. And it's got Cybermen on it, so Key Saw. I, I, I like it. And Benton. And Benton. So it's a, a twofer for, in addition to Lethbridge Stewart. For uh, our U.S. listeners, uh, five British pounds is six dollars and twenty nine. Or yeah, six dollars and twenty nine cents. So that's a steal. It's a steal. Two books for that price. Well, no, no, no you, get, you, that. Get, you get the second. You get the second book for, for that for price. Five pounds, yes. but, sorry. And the other one was uh, eight. What? Eight ninety nine. So that translates to eleven thirty U.S. dollars. That's, that's that's a steal for two books. That's still a steal for two books. So head on over to their website and order now. <coughs> uh, the closing date for the contest, uh, the competition, is the thirty first. So you have till the end of the year. Till the end of the year. Our other bit of news was. Uh, the BBC dropped a trailer for the Christmas special. What'd you guys think of it? <sighs> it was a Christmas trailer. I think I said that last year, but it's like, I'm excited. I mean, Doctor Who's coming back after a long year. <laughs> I'm excited. I don't care if it's superhero related or not. I just hate Doctor Who's coming back. I'm excited for Who to be back and to have a new episode. I'm just having a little trouble getting excited for this Christmas episode for some I'm reason. I'm the same way, and I think it has to do with the superhero aspect of it. I just, I, I, it's still, I, I want to reserve judgment for when I see the episode, but it still feels like, it feels like a retread or, or a too little too late or getting hopping on the bandwagon of superhero television or superhero movies. And so I just, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see. I just I can't get excited because of that. It feels like a retread, and I'm excited as much as you guys are for Doctor Who returning. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I think I part of mine is maybe a little bit of that, but I don't think as much. More, I just don't know. I guess I don't. I haven't seen anything to give me a good idea what I'm going to get in this story, other than Nardole and the Doctor and some superhero. 
I do, I'm excited for the return of Arnold. <laughs> I, do, I liked him in the Husbands of Rather song. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I don't know wobbly maybe. So I'm, but, I'm I'm most intrigued about that yeah. aspect of it. I don't know, just these trailers seem like a bunch of random things that I don't understand what's happening in them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a mark of a good trailer, I suppose. You I, give yeah, I would away, say a good. I would say a good trailer excited, would also but... lay down kind of oh, that's kind of an idea of what's going to yeah. happen to some extent. It feels... This latest one did give me more. Yeah. It feels like an RTD era trailer. For, it really does. Yeah. I don't well, know if it's because there's American stuff in there or what. I think it's just going to be loud and bombastic. Well, and Christmas and okay. To be fair, all of Russell T or all of Stephen Moffat's Christmas specials have been very Russell T esque, and I made a word Russell T esque. <laughs> um, but so I, I can forgive it for that because it just seems like. Oh, it's going to be par for the it. well. Just, it's going to be par for the course. So I, think, I, think, I don't think, I think that's a new said it thing. Last though. year, where the you know the Christmas stories kind of exist in their own little continuity, almost that they're it's Christmas, so therefore all bets are off. Yeah, I, uh, yes, I don't know. I wouldn't define it as they they like, fit in their own yeah. continuity, but maybe their own tone and style. Yeah, because I mean, as I've said many times, Christmas night in the UK was always the time that you watched Tower Inferno or you know big disaster films or the big epic action films or things that you know had had a lot going on and it feel and i think russell t davis when he did his christmas specials was trying to mirror that uh style of christmas eve viewing with those and i think moffat has uh kind of carried that on so see and i think moffat almost brought more christmas to the christmas specials too especially, with, especially with christmas carol and then not as much with uh i would agree with that Oh, Dr. yeah, Doctor. Well, Lord. no, that was that, very heavy Christmas too. I mean, they went inside Narnia. a Christmas present that's into true. a whole other yeah. <laughs> world. See, I, I haven't really considered Dad Moffat's coming Christmas, home for Christmas specials for or as RTD esque as this one seems. I think the least Christmassy one was last year's Husbands of River, River Song. Yeah, because even Time the, of the, the Doctor one with was Santa Claus. Christmas. Was, well, that one's very Christmas. Yeah, very Christmas. Yeah, Time of the Doctor is only real thing is it's snowing and it's. The but the town Christmas. is called Christmas. <laughs> you can name anything. And he's something invited that doesn't make to Clara's Christmas with her dad and her, beginning her granny. Does, yes. The snowman. It gets Come overshadowed on. by... Come on. It gets overshadowed by a regeneration. <laughs> well, Dr. Mysterio probably will, too. <laughs> no. <laughs> At any rate, I'm excited for it. So. Two weeks out or so? Two weeks out. Or so? Or so. <laughs> I haven't done the math... I'm pretty sure we have a firm It is date two on weeks from tonight. Two Sundays. Two Sundays from, from tonight? Yeah, yeah. I had not that calendar to, to, to be sure. It seems like it's further away than that to me. It doesn't. Probably because we have so much stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> We're ready for Christmas, and now we have to sit and wait for two weeks. That's true. I don't even know what other Christmas stuff I'm yeah, going to watch later. You're kind of scroogey, so you probably aren't as excited. <laughs> to me, that's a long wait. <laughs> I've been much more in the Christmas spirit this year. You have. I've, I've slightly. Noticed I was it. actually listening to Christmas music in the car. Look at you guys! Look at you guys! Did you? Oh, it's rubbing off. I think. It, I, th- I, okay. I bring the Christmas it's, spirit. It's with I, I remember something else I did this week. I discovered that John Denver a Mupp- and the Muppets a Christmas together mm-hmm. had a TV special. Yeah, I did not know that. Oh yeah, I sought this out and watched it. Oh, you have it. I have Is it, it at the library or? No. Oh, can I have a copy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it, but it's been I'll, many I'll, years I'll, ago. I'll let this out just because of the. It's never been released on home video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so a, it's like Star Wars holidays. Yeah, special. it's it's yeah, like that. Unfortunately, to, because it's good, the boot, you have to get the bootleg. Boot, boot. Yeah. 
So if I I found it and then I went to go try to find an actual copy because I want to own it and put it on the shelf and yeah, yeah can't. You should guess you plan on coming over early Christmas, and we'll watch the Star Wars holiday special before we watch <laughs> Doctor Who before we record. <laughs> you have a copy of it, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. Yeah, several. So, so you still have a VHS player? <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I have it on DVD there's, there's as well. There's a tape stuck in it now, so I have to. Uh, I think I, I, I think I think I have a digital copy, a DVD copy, and a VHS copy. Fortunately, I still know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody listening, you've no, seen it though. You've seen, oh, yeah, you've I've seen the seen holiday it. special. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I just been, you know, it's been a while, but yeah, we could do that as a side trip. <laughs> That'd be actually kind of fun. Ooh, a Christmas special. Like a side trip Christmas, side trip Christmas special, a side, a side, because our actual Christmas special side trip, side trip. falls on New Year's, <laughs> post Christmas <laughs> New Year's special. There you go. What do you want from me? Of course, I think the the, hol- the uh, Star Wars holiday special came out closer to uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, it did. That's okay. Yeah, because well, it's Life Day. Well, they had to get all those uh, all those toys in the stores. Yeah, oh yeah, time. <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> We have derailed. That's it in news. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to our review? Yes. We're going to start with Power of the Daleks, right? Yes. We are doing, doing episodes episode three, three and four, four this week. Episode three was a little slow. <laughs> episode four <laughs> picked up a bit. That's a, that I think... It's of, laying groundwork as episode three. Of the two, yeah, then that's, that's basically what you can say for episode three. Episode four gets really exciting and and here's what made me most excited and this was my favorite episode so far is because I have watched the recon and I have listened to the uh, narrating linking narrating audio and there's a good chunk at the end of episode four where there's not a lot going on on the reconstruction or the audio (laughs) even with the narration in there explaining what's going on and in fact I think if I remember right it's kind of wrapped up and truncated quickly Mm -hmm. but the nice thing about episode four is they can do that big whole long piece of seeing the Daleks being uh, assembled on the assembly oh, line yeah, yeah. and the, the shocking the little uh, Dalek that, that's been bred to life and putting it in the casing <laughs> and, and that was just phenomenal and then because we don't you know the, my issue has always been with the humans in this not like quite looking right and looking angry mm-hmm. and having the really rough lines and we've talked about how the Daleks look great and everything that's machines yeah. and has the sleek lines look terrific in a computer animation we had a lot of that, and they looked terrific. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the assembly line stuff. looks terrific. So I was very excited about this week's episode because it just it looks stunning, and you I actually feel like I've I got more out of that last you know it's it's probably a seven minute oh yeah you know uh, clip, and uh, and of course the story's finally getting somewhere. We're finding out more about it, the it, rebels. It feels like it's living up to the hype of the story. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That this whole story has gotten. I think this episode, this episode, this story would have probably just, from what I know about it, would have um, been a lot better had it only been four episodes. But uh-huh. um, yeah, the la- they last do lay week a lot of groundwork. Last one felt like padding a little bit, but it's groundwork and um, some some great surprises in this. Yeah, this one. There's some reveals in this yeah. one that you don't expect. The uh, something keeps bothering me, and it, it shouldn't because it's little things. But I the costume changes are bugging me the the girl scientist that's part of the rebellion when she's sitting in the room when is it well, i keep calling nighter what's the guy that comes in <laughs> you know who i'm talking about the, the oh the head scientist the, the, guy um 
Bragan? Yeah, Bragan comes. Bragan comes in, and he said, "You know, I'm he's having a, trouble keeping track of who's who." He's addressing her. Well, she's the only female Name scientist, wise, yeah. right? And so, she's in a white smock coat. And then they cut away to him, and they cut back. She's in the white smock coat. They cut away back to him, and then they cut back to her, and she's in a like black or, oh. or gray outfit. I thought, God, come on, you guys got to be. I'm not. I know you rushed to this. I know you put it together quickly so you could get it out, but you got to be more careful more de- on those de- attention to detail would yeah. have been paid to that. And it shouldn't bother me. It's just a little thing. I should just be grateful I'm seeing people move, <laughs> <laughs> even but as stiffly me. as they might be moving. Yeah, actually, I'm getting used to that. I'm getting used to the animation style. That's good. Um, which I, what, I didn't think I would watching week to week to week because it, it you know when you when you when you watch something as a chunk then you get used to it because you've been constantly seeing yeah. it. And I th- was afraid by breaking it up that I wasn't going to get used to the animation style. But I have. I've, I've even got used to the angry lines. I think the doctor <laughs> looks a lot better to me now than he did. Maybe because he's warming up a little bit, too. He's well, not as aloof as he <laughs> that's was. That's true. The characterization is becoming more the doctor we're familiar with and love dearly. But poor Polly's still gone. Yeah. Is it, was she almost on holiday, or I'm not sure how that worked out. I don't why know she's been missing for two that. episodes. It's it's possible because they frequently did that. So, um, she it's got a, kidnapped at the beginning of the third episode. So we saw yeah, her briefly, didn't we? Very briefly. Yeah, and then they find the note, and then it just seems odd that she's gone for so much and, and for so long. Ben really wants to find her, and the doctor seems very <laughs> unconcerned well, that, about and her. And that's very much in the first part, and then this part it's a bit more more so. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed very much par for the course for the early era. Yeah. When regardless of who yeah. went on holiday, whether kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> or they're sleeping, or they're knocked out, or they're injured, or they're... <laughs> yeah. Any number of things. At least they didn't leave her on a street. <laughs> like Susan left the doctor well, they, in Invasion they, of Earth. They, they covered him up. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's safe. Well, they, they, those resistant fighters were going to help him. They were supposed to, they were supposed to look after him. Well, they didn't put her in a cell and record her voice and <laughs> play it every once in a while, like in uh, the Time Meddlers. So. That's true too. <laughs> Wilf would have been along any moment to find him and help him out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it's 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 ramping up, and I think it's it's getting better. Um, and by say better, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I, I've I've always liked this story in the forms that I have been able to. Uh, parse it and enjoy it but um i'm really enjoying the anime i mean really enjoying the fact that i get to it's, see the visual it's a great scene it's it, a good yeah. story it's, it still is a good story it's got some issues but it's a good story i look forward to being able to dive into talking about it more once seeing the entire thing because i still feel like i kind of have to hold back some things just to see how they resolve themselves right. it'll be worth a revisit too when we do the um Friday Night Who with the DVD when it comes out eventually as well. It'd be, it'd be nice to go yeah. back and revisit the story as a whole. With we can review it all together. So, so wait your appetite any more than than, than maybe normal for uh, the next? What are you going to animate next? Uh, emo, yeah, most definitely. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. I, I, it seems like every time I see an animation, no matter how good or how bad it's done, it whets my appetite for wanting more <laughs> things animated. Especially a lot of things that I've only been able to see in recons um because i may be in a little different boat because i've seen a a good majority of the recons now and now long even more to see what it would look like with the actors moving uh or the characters moving and i maybe not so much for you guys because you haven't even seen some of this stuff yet but now i look at it i go why can't this why can't i be looking at what's going on here this would be so much better so 
Well, and even if you're not a huge fan of the animation, every instance of it is a proof of performance that it can be done, and can be done to varying degrees of quality, obviously, based on your taste, but it's obviously can be done no matter what. Yeah. I really hope they do Evil of the Daleks, too. That'd be my next... Ooh. That's on my next wish list. That and Daleks Master Plan. <laughs> huh. Those both had I Daleks. I why. <laughs> and then we'd have everything Dalek that was missing, right? I think so. Yeah. See, they'd only need to do one more for Cyberman. Evil and Master Plan. I think you're right. They just they just did Wheel in Space. We'd have all the Cybermen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They only one more needed for Cybermen, Glenn. That's true. I think you got to give that one to them. <laughs> on the other hand, they would probably more likely make more money on the dog. Yeah. <laughs> I think Evil's from probably more likely than Wheel. <laughs> from what I understand, Wheel's not the best story either. So yeah, yeah. Having not read it or watched the recon, I can't say for sure. But it's Zoe and Cyberman. I, how can I not yeah. like it? Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, this just jumped into my head. Who 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 has Chumbly? Is that a dog? Chummy? Chumbly? Do one of you know somebody that owns a dog named Chumbly? Nope. No. There was a post on Facebook, and somebody hits on, "Oh, they knitted the sweater for their little Chumbly." And my brain, chumbly. T- my brain totally went Chumbly. And now I want to see a Chumbly wearing a Christmas sweater. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Sean. Photoshop that for an advent calendar. <laughs> I don't know why that just popped in there. I thought maybe it was your mom like or that. somebody. That's kind of funny. <laughs> well, the, the but next, you don't want the dog. You want the actual. You want an actual. I want chumbly an actual Chumbly and a in a Christmas, Christmas sweater. sweater. And you could even make it a kind of a you know. <sighs> if I ever get a sweater. pet again, I'm going to call it Chumbly. <laughs> I'm going to put little antennas on it. See, I thought of that. And I Dogs thought, oh, already have those. Built <laughs> in, how awesome yeah. cute that would be. Ear. And then I got frustrated that there aren't more Chumbly episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I want more of the Chumbly. Well, now I want a whole line of different robots and sweaters. How cute would a cork be in a sweater? <laughs> It'd also be a great uh, thing to capture them in. <laughs> It makes me think of the the <laughs> meme with the Dalek that has a Christmas tree and it's going decorate, oh, decorate. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the Yeti. Oh, they're already wearing sweaters. <laughs> see, <laughs> but how 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 great would it be to see a, a Yeti with a sweater on over the fur? <laughs> you could see it just tighten or like, and, and, <laughs> and then the, and fur. the fur kind of <laughs> poofing out over the <laughs> neckline. <laughs> I can out. totally imagine it. <laughs> Just kind of splaying out. <laughs> I'm kind of regretting starting this. Now. Chameleon in a a sweater. See, uh, could, you, you, there's a whole line, Sean. It's got to be an ugly Christmas sweater too. Oh yeah, canine in a sweater. <laughs> they do make dog sweaters. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, move along. <laughs> And that's our review of episodes three and four of Power of the Dalek. Let's move on to our next one. Times Squared next? Yes? Yes. Yes. When Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart and his fiancée Sally Wright and nephew Owen... Is it Owen or Owain? Owain? Owain. Owain. In my my head I pronounce it Owain. Yeah, it's uh, spelled Owain, so... I'm sure Andy will correct us. <laughs> Owain Vine embark on a much-needed holiday in New York City. The last thing they expect to find is a puzzling mystery involving coma patients, a stranger from a distant land, and a dark menace lurking beneath the bowels of the city's labyrinth. 
subway system. Before long, they're battling an ancient evil, pursuing a deadly campaign of terror that could bring Manhattan under its control and the world to its knees. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. It was enjoyable. I, I, Sean said he hears, he reads it as Owain. I read it as Owen, even though it's, yeah, oh, it's spelled I pronounce Owain, it in my head. But Owen. I pronounce it in my head. Well, and I'm, I'm well. sure it's probably just a weird trick of the accent. That yeah. it, it probably is Owen. Yeah. But just... Um... Very excited to have Owen back in a uh, a very big role in this as well. Yeah, very big role. Um, overall, I think the book is qu- quite an enjoyable read, and I think that I don't know about you guys, but there wasn't a break in the action. It seemed like they were uh, there was always something going on from the time they get to New York well, to the end it, of the if book. If it wasn't action, it was plot development. Yeah, there was just something going on every time, and, and somebody was in peril, or something was happening. It was just... it. it What's great, and what I, one of the things I really, really liked about it, was it didn't dawn on me till near the end uh, that this all takes place on a night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's done really well, too. Yeah. It, it really... It dawned on me before dawn broke in the book, by it the way. Dr- it drives... <laughs> It drives the the point home, though, when uh, Adrian is uh, talking about how uh, she's tired and ready to find a bed. (laughs) Sally was lucky enough to go find a bed and curl up. And and you think, wow, that makes for a long night. Yeah. Uh, the doctor that had been on shift for ten hours. I mean, it really (laughs) drives home. Ten hours beyond its normal eight-hour shift. Yeah, that's right. Beyond his eight-hour shift. Yeah, he did a really good job with that at the end of the book. Yep. But it was it was even before that I realized, wow, this is all taking place in a night. Yeah, at least their entire holiday isn't ruined. They yeah. can go and do other stuff now if they have the if they can find the energy. Which I couldn't remember once I got to the end how long they were supposed to be in New York. I don't remember because he, I, I don't thought, remember them saying either. Because he he says uh, some holiday, huh? <laughs> and I thought, well, if you're going to be there like a week, at least get all this out of the way in a day, and you yeah. still got you know like six more days presumably to. Uh, I got the impression it was like a five or six day holiday yeah. at least. So. Sure, let's go tour New York. Oh, well, the subways are down. So the already taxed <laughs> transportation grid is now doubly <laughs> so with people trying to get to work. And you're going to have to step over the piles of the dead rats. <laughs> and the and flooding. Just, just go uptown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just get out of Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Midtown. Um, I think you're right. I, I it, it started and it was, you know, just kind of that I don't want to call it a slow boil because it was it was it was building and it moved at a really good pace. But only the first few chapters. But yeah, only the first yeah. few chapters, and then all pretty much about the time that Lethbridge Stewart confirms there's something going on weird with these coma patients, that's when everything starts to kick into high gear, and it doesn't take its foot off the accelerator until the end of the book. Yeah, it really I think doesn't. it's when the uh, the crater that carries the the shipping c- uh, crates runs into yeah. the. Yeah. the Dock or the it wasn't even a dock; it was like a levee or something. It runs into that. From that point on, it never slows down; it just keeps going. Things keep happening, which I think is like chapter three. So. That being said, <laughs> that's one of those points in the book that I, I was it was enjoyable to read, but I don't quite understand the purpose of that. Is that that's how the Yeti obviously got to Manhattan, the group of Yeti, but they never yeah. explained where they were coming from. Who, where, where they had embarked from, and why they ended up at that point, other than the fact that um, uh, Wad, what's the what's the guy's name, the the Tibetan guy? Uh, oh, somebody doesn't have a book open. <laughs> you I know I'm bad it. with Jimba Wah. Jimba Wah. When uh, I mean, obviously, that's where Jimba Wah meets the Yeti. 
in the U.S. and gives them the new control spheres. There was yeah. a point for it. There was a need for it, and it works in there. But I wanted a little more of as to why and where they were coming from. Because if the intelligence was... Who, who disembarked them from one location to get them there? Because I didn't get the impression that the intelligence could do much other th- than through Jumbo Wall and yeah. the uh, comatose patients that he was using to channel the energy uh, and use their consciousness... But so I, I kind of wanted more of that. Where did that come from? Where? Did, why? And why did we crash into that levee there? Was that a weak point? Is that what allowed them to get into the subway system? Uh, because it didn't really make it clear. It, it really didn't. I got it, just reading it. It kind of almost felt like that was just. It almost felt like, you know, like Nosferatu when he gets loose and kind of kills everyone on the ship, and the ship just kind of goes where it goes. That kind of felt what it felt like. Like. There was a crew of this on this ship at one point. Maybe they got infected and gate were given to the intelligence. Maybe not, and they just were dispatched slowly as the on, during their journey and all that were left for the Yeti, and that's why it. Poof, Which, crashed. if that's the case, why did it veer and change its course immediately? Somebody was, yeah, yeah, somebody was controlling that ship, which I presumed must have been the Yeti in some way was yeah. controlling that ship. So the, the ship is eight days out of the port of London. So I'm guessing the Yeti were probably so they disembarked em- from London. Embarked there. Okay. Now it's possible that if there's because it's an Indian freighter, so they may have been from elsewhere. Or embarked from London. Yes, yes. Um, India is obviously next door to uh, Tibet, so they could have been shipped by rail or something through India and gotten on the ship there before they went to London. We don't know how long the Yeti were on the ship. I thought I remember reading though that there was. Uh, was there people on board? I thought there were people on board. It seemed to me that they reference a captain of the of the freighter. I thought I remember them saying they couldn't reach the captain. Oh yeah, that's right. That's where the that's what I'm. That's what. That's I, why I got the impression that there weren't people on because they couldn't hail anybody. Yeah, it's a, it's a minor thing. It really and, is. And, I mean, and why they crashed where they crashed made. If if it, if it had been a point to make, you know, because obviously the idea was to destroy the pump station so they could flood the subway systems, drive the rats to the surface, and then they could go and take over and bite the people and infect them. And if there had just been a mention to that was a weak point, you know, into the subway system there, and that's how they could get down in there, it would have made more sense. Now, that being said, he was at that warehouse that had the shipping containers, and in that particular warehouse, they had a shipping crate that had the hole in it. They got down to that, that junction or that hub that they were in underground where everything was taking place, for the most part, under underground. So there was that, but it didn't. They didn't. He didn't link the two well enough for me to, yeah, to I, know I, what the. Yeah, I, I agree. Most of its cargo, along with all but a skeleton crew who cowered That's and quailed and did That's as their right. wordless guests directed, uh, had been dumped unceremoniously into the sea. So it was traveling far lighter than usual. So most of the right. crew was. So they, they had gotten okay. But so I, I am. So that, there. There must have been their last uh, move was to steer the boat into the direction it was going, and then they were thrown cast from the ship. Yeah. Okay. Reminded me of the scene from uh, Lost World. Yeah, a little bit. I could see the that. T Rex driving the boat. <laughs> yeah, but again, had <laughs> there been a reason, I think, for where they ended up, because they they clearly had that point as a place for them to end up, because that's where the Tibetan guy, Jimbo Wa, Jimbo Wa was uh, waiting for them. So, uh, again, a little minor thing. It wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, something else that bothered me about it was how Owen 
and Adrian Kramer, which I love Adrian Kramer. I love I, Adrian I, Kramer. I read Vampire yeah. Science, and I, I was so excited for this book because I wanted to know more about her, and I love how this is in, in, in her past and, and before she's really kind of head of, unit, uh, head of unit in the States. But um, how did Owen and Adrian know that Lethbridge Stewart had survived down there? Because Owen ran. You know, we're talking about when the, the SWAT team goes in there and the three Yeti, are, they ambush uh, the team of police officers and attack him and Owen ends up running and Lethbridge Stewart goes in with the gun as, as backup and when they come out of there Lethbridge Stewart never surfaces you never hear the rats come out and it bothered me that Owen and Adrian just assumed that Lethbridge Stewart was okay now I wondered what was going to happen and what had happened and he obviously was transferred by the Yeti to the warehouse where he wakes up on the floor bound and that's where See, I, I, Wall was I guess I'm remembering that part differently too because what I remembered from that was conversations between Adrian trying to assure Owen that I'm sure he's alright we don't know for sure until Sally shows back up and then they know that well, when Sally shows up, they do know everything yeah. is okay because and she I, was with him. I didn't him. get the impression. I got the impression that they didn't know what happened to him, but they didn't necessarily like think he had died. Okay, yeah, All right. like they like they thought he might have died, but thought he might have survived too. Like, I'll give they didn't it that. Know for just, sure. I guess my problem with that because I do remember Adrian reassuring Owen that he was okay, but there was no reason that to. Felt think, like it, an, it felt like a more. I'm just going to say this to make you feel better. That's what. I, that's a, the impression I got from it. Right. Too. So my problem with that is why is there from that point no concern from either character until they meet back up with Sally oh. and find out that he's okay. That that was my problem. It, it just seemed like there was no there was no remorse there that he that possibly he was die, he had died. They just it, they just took it at face value that he was going to be okay. And I think that was I had a little problem with that. But they were a little busy. Well, they were busy, <laughs> as we said. The action didn't stop. Again, just a little, just a little thing that didn't connect enough for me to give me some satisfaction there. The thing that didn't really connect well for me, since we're focusing on these things now, uh, before we delve into what we loved, <laughs> um, was the fact it didn't. Owen's victory did not feel earned enough to me. It didn't feel like he had gone through enough of a growth through the book to earn that victory against intelligence. Like, he didn't grow enough as a character in his abilities, or, yeah, in his abilities to defeat the intelligence the way he did. Well, See, most of it was bestowed upon him by Gemma. Okay. There, I mean, yeah, there's some of that, but... Because I, I got the impression that because when, when they're... The Brig and, and Gemma are being overrun by rats... And Gemma is convinced that Owen's in trouble, and he's about to be zapped by the intelligence. And the Briggs says, "You got to help him." He says, "It will. I can, but it'll cost us our lives." So then, that's why the the, the magic force field begins to deteriorate because I yeah. think it's because he's transferring the power over to, to to Owen, and so that was probably the boost. Now Owen was still in control of it, and that was kind of that was the growth part of it is that he seized control of it and actually did something with it as opposed to this accidental. See, I guess I guess I wish they would have conveyed that a little clearer. See, as if as the fact that he was giving them the pow- giving Owen the power, as opposed to just trying to divert the attention from the intelligence. I might have had a problem with that though too. However, they did pepper in the fact that Owen had been. We got the one instance in the underground. Well, Owen had been um, 
studying Buddhism and Taoism and all these different things. And in fact, he has that particular saying that he's that he, he yeah, recites true. from Yogi. And to me, that was the idea was that he had been immersing himself in Eastern culture. And that was, you know, because he and Simon talked about finding their inner eye, uh, unlocking his inner eye and opening his inner eye. And I think that the, the, the study that he had been doing to me lent to that, especially since he uses that passage by Yogi in order to, basically empower himself and dispatch of the great intelligence so to me that was enough to give me the idea and, and as you said the, the 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 being able to tap into the intelligence and see what was hap- going to happen to uh the crew and let yeah. Stewart in the in the underground i to me that wasn't for me that was there, there was there was there was the groundwork there that it didn't come out of left field i'm not saying trying to yeah, say that yeah, it yeah. was it just felt like i still felt like it could have been more earned. And then that coupled him. with the fact that it was bestowed on him by Jibbawah, the whatever energies Jibbawah had that he had to basically let the rats <laughs> take him <laughs> over. That was neat. That was kind that of was, a noble thing that yeah, Lethbridge really was. was like, you know, just do it, whatever we we need. I really grew to like Jimbawah. I grew to like Jimbawah. Um I think Lethbridge Stewart grew immensely as a character in this novel. Um Sally finally has a lot to do, yes. and she's got she's got purpose in this book. Yeah, Lesbridge Stewart grew on several different facets because I felt like he, um, you know, matured as a character. I felt like he matured as a you know, not having his swagger stick and <laughs> uniform, uniform and gun, out, out of his element and, and, and almost kind of the the fish out of water elements to it. Um, but uh, and then also the, the the romance aspects that his relationship with Sally, even though it has that one ding there toward the end of the book that you kind of really feel like, well, maybe they are going to be able to make a go of this. Obviously, we know not, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, the one problem that I had with Lethbridge Stewart's character is right before the SWAT team goes down into the sewers to do the, the, the hunt, and he's been granted observer status or whatever, and he's going to go with them. Being that he is the resident expert <laughs> on what's going on, I didn't feel he was forceful enough to to drive home the point that we're going in here and you have assault rifles and I assure you this is going to do absolutely no good. I mean that that to me seems like that should have been right off the tip of his tongue at the forefront of this conversation. And I understand the need for it. We had to have that SWAT team get eviscerated right. in order for the, the the driving force of the rest of the narrative to come later. But I still think there there was there had to have been a way to really punch up not only Lethbridge Stewart's part during that and make him less passive because he feels like he's very much along for the ride. Well, but I forgive that because I get the impression early on that the sergeant or captain, whoever it was, wasn't going to let him go. And And didn't really want to listen to him either. He didn't want to listen to him. And I think that that, I think that Lethbridge Stewart was kind of, if I can get close enough to see what the situation is, then I can be more well, forceful with the warning. I think the problem is I think Lethbridge Stewart had to kind of walk that line to a certain point because he knew that he wasn't even going to get into the subway if he wasn't careful. Yeah. And so I think that's why he wasn't as forceful in saying this isn't going to do any good as an expert on this. Not to mention, I think, and and this is this is typical of of uh, any writer from uh, somewhere else how they paint uh, Americans, and I'm fine with it because sometimes it's pretty accurate. But that whole you know bold John Wayne go in guns blazing American attitude 
that they had, I think, is what he was he was well, and Rick's having to fight too. against. Yeah. So I mean, well, that's right. So yeah. you know, something that he was having to fight against was that you know uh, that that mentality that well, Americans and, sometimes and have. I don't have a it also kind of at all. Police speaks off. into the character of that we know in the future. I mean, the Briggs' first reaction usually is always shoot it, even if it, he doesn't know or doesn't think the guns will work. I mean, he still tries shooting it first. So. I could buy that very easily. That he did, he tried maybe tried to warn them, but they didn't listen or didn't put up big, as much of a fight as well. Maybe these are different yeti, or you know, maybe this time the guns will work. I mean, and maybe it was a scene that was cut, but and he's been through this several times with, you know, the the London event and then later in Bledo, and I mean they're very aware that guns don't work. We pretty much have to use a bazooka or a grenade. Well, and you can't even use the extent that he's not quite sure yet that it's Yeti because Owen had well, the incident true. on the train, and he has no reason not, not to believe, believe Owen. Yeah. So you can't use that as well. It just you know, and I don't mind that the the, the uh, what was it Kressel was the gung ho. We're going to show the English how we do things right. in New York. You know, I don't mind that at all. But I I, I wish that that moment had come after Lethbridge Stewart had the warning and said. You needed. You need to think about this. You need to step back. You need to, you know, and he's like, then he can say, no, no, we got this. But just for Lethbridge to kind of go along with him, even, even okay, I'll, I'll buy my way into the tunnel, and then once we're on the way, okay, look, <laughs> I've fought these things before, and if it's what I think it is, the guns aren't going to work. Yeah. They're impervious to bullets. I'm telling you, you need the heavy artillery. I don't know. I just felt like there was a a, a, a beat or something that was missed with that kind of warning. Um, that needed to happen at that time so that Lethbridge-Stewart wasn't quite such a passive along-for-the-ride character. Observer. <laughs> Observer. I did like that Kressel threw his gun to Lethbridge-Stewart, yeah, realizing yes. that. Yeah, that was a great touch. Uh, and, the boy, the rats. What did you guys Man. think of the changes to the Yetis? Oh, that was cool. The fact I really that liked they it. were just I thought the shells. failsafe was a bit of a, I don't want to say a cheat, but kind of a easy mechanism to get us out of this situation. On the other hand, it gave some of our characters some clever moments, uh, especially with Travers. Oh, we haven't even talked about Travers. <laughs> especially with Travers there at the end, re- realizing that the fire was work. Sally's idea yeah. with the fire uh, trucks, the the um, the big uh, hose Helpers. units. Yeah, um, well, it gave it, them something to. And it, and it gave Jimbo Wah a kind of a almost a redemption of a. Yeah. A back end of well, I thought you know I might need a. I was I was grateful that he especially went into the whole uh, discussion about he'd locked away in his mind from the uh, great intelligence his knowledge of what he had done in order to yeah. create the failsafe that actually kind of made it a little less a little easier to swallow. Yes, that it was yes. there, uh, and giving us the scene on the uh, levee when he gives the new. Um, Sphere control spheres to the to the yeti, they they gave us that moment. That wasn't something that had happened, you know, off scene or off book or something. We actually got to see that happen. So it, it well, and then also it brought it full circle. Later, the moments where he realizes the one that has truly been his companion and the one he's been kind of helping, that's been helping him to his realize a mistake of oh I did that to that one too and now right. I've, I've lost the one that was my muscle. Right, it was a nice moment too. Almost okay. made you sympathize with him. Did a little bit. Um, that was the, that, that's one of the triumphs of this book is that they take the guy who is the heavy bad and turn him into a sympathetic character. Yeah, and do it convincingly because a lot of times you know we we kind of grumble about how sometimes 
authors or writers will try to, you know, give you sympathy for the villain. Well, this one does it in the right way, right. in which it deconstructs mm-hmm. the villain and, and gives them gives you a reason to have some sympathy for them by the time you get to the point where you have that empathy or sympathy for them. For the yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was done exceptionally well. I agree with you. I think the, the, the salt water was a little bit of a cheat, but then when you get the triumphant moments of people running around on fire trucks blasting Yeti with hoses and stuff, it's kind of like... Well, thank goodness we have that cheat because I don't know that you no. stopped. <laughs> well, and my other my other uh, uh oh moment was when Owen is having the confrontation with the uh, great intelligence and he's tapping into the energy and he's able to thwart the rats. My thought was, oh, don't make this easy now and make that be the fix-all for everything, the rats and the Yeti, because you've set up this wonderful device to deal with the Yeti. And I was afraid that he might have, that Rick might have forgotten <laughs> that he'd done that and had kind of solved everything with Owen. And so to have the Yeti still being active, yeah. that that worked because it gave Travers his moment. It gave Anne and the firefighters their moment. And so that worked out really well. Um, I wasn't sure how I would like the fact that the the fur of the Yetis were made up of rats, but the <laughs> the way they described it and yeah. the way they wind up, he wound up using the rats in the story I, I thought it worked really well i get the impression some of them weren't made up of rats because there were some that he described as skeletal that you you knew had dispersed the rats and some yeah. of them still had their fur and you assumed in fact that was the interesting thing is he gave character to all of the different yetis by describing well, he even gave the, one of them a name yeah well the one had the name and <laughs> the he white had one. white fur yeah they had ones that were described as having gray fur there was another one described as having brown and, and gray fur or brown and, and lighter brown fur i mean so he really gave different character to the yetis which is something we've never really gotten no. in any of the doctor who stories that we've had is the different characterizations of yetis and i thought that was kind of cool and the too. use of the yetis too of, of their form itself the fact that some of them were able to go down on all fours and be almost bear like and i really like that aspect of it it really moved them from lumbering yes second doctor <laughs> black and white villain to oh this is a credible threat are you saying they weren't a credible threat no other fear? <laughs> well <laughs> not to a grenade and no, no need for uh, web guns this time yeah which, that was cool which was which was a nice change i felt this story as much as it's a sequel to Web of Fear, it almost feels more a sequel to Abominable Snowman. That was what I was going to bring up as well, is it's an interesting fact that it does serve twofold. It serves as, an, as it's a, it's sequel a sequel to, to both. Directly, both stories, which I thought was really cleverly done. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Travers, because <laughs> I have a love-hate idea with, or love-hate, yeah, love-hate feeling with this idea of, at first I thought it, it seemed kind of, interesting that travers was yanked forward in time uh the young version of travers was yanked forward in time i thought that was cool and i thought we were going to go somewhere with that and then travers spends a lot of time doing nothing but examining coma patients yeah and, which isn't even his yeah expertise well, yeah. at least he, had, he acknowledges that later which was one of the things that was starting to bother me was like this is not your expertise here but then later he sort of does acknowledge that he he's kind of done everything he can or exhausted his knowledge of what what he knows about medicine but that was the weird thing is it, it felt like we had brought travers forward and then we weren't doing anything with him we had that mist that, that wonderful mysterious you know setup where he's first <laughs> meets with lethbridge stewart and adrian kramer and you know pulls the cloak down and, and 
uh, Lethbridge Stewart's, you know, shocked by seeing a younger version of Travers there. They go into the pub. Travers explains what sort of had happened, which explains the uh, prelude that we got in yes. the Creatures in the Cave from the Havoc Files. Um, so that was interesting. But then we spend a lot of time of, of Travers doing nothing. And in fact, I... I almost got to the point where I, I kept I, I convinced myself that you didn't need Travers in this book at all. That was just kind of pointless until he's there with Owen and he finally gets something to do. And then I was like, okay, this works because it gives another character to pair up with Owen here. And then when he does the when he gets the, he shows up with the uh, <laughs> fire hose and blasts the Yeti with the fire hose, I went, okay, I'm glad they brought him forward. So I, was, I was so back and forth on Travers because I felt like he was being underused there, for a There were a time. large chunks of it that I forgot he was, back, he was in it yeah. because we spent so much time away from him. That being said, now having read the after credits <laughs> scene, it, it, it actually, I'm kind of grateful that they did that because there's something obviously brewing with young Edward Travers and a certain science fiction author that... Uh, they're apparently going to be tackling at some point as well. So that'll be interesting to see where they go. So it was, it was I, I'm, I'm fine with it because it becomes a setup for something later down the road. But I, I'm still back and forth on to whether young Travers was even really necessary. Now, yeah. that being it, said, it also lends to the fact that um, J- Jumbo Wah was pulled through because the intelligence sent him through. Yeah. And it seems like Travers was an unintentional mm-hmm. uh, side effect of, of that. It, yeah. So Which, that, although, again, works. If he's with a certain science fiction author now, isn't that the wrong time period? Yeah, there he looked up, when he woke up, he saw a man that looked like he was dressed in Victorian garb. Yeah, see. So I think he's now back in another wrong time period. He didn't get put <laughs> in an earlier wrong time yeah. period. Yeah. Which I think is kind of interesting. Kind Which, of and, uh, they haven't implied this at all in the book. Uh, and the only reason I even think this is because of the lost skin. I wonder if they're trying to set up the fact that all this time traveling is what causes his dementia when he's older. I sort of wondered about that as well. Because when, when they first sh- revealed the young Travers and that he was pulled forward, I thought, oh, maybe this is like a splinter thing. Yeah. And that he doesn't actually get to go back. Right. It's just a splinter different version of him. But it's clearly within the same timeline, and he will and, end up back. Yeah. In, so, uh, now, but the London. fact, that, yeah, the fact that they sent him back at the end of the book. I think my, my other issue with it is, and and I thought they were going to fix it, but then they kind of didn't fix it with the after credits. But there's a reason they didn't fix it is when he's talking to Lethbridge Stewart and he's uh, recounting the fact that he got to see, he you know, he he went and saw his older self. He saw Anne. And he knows of Alan and, uh, you know, knows that his wife obviously is gone now, but he sees with the path that his life is taking. And my thought was, okay, this kind of messes things up because if he goes back to his time and he remembers all these events, then you have to assume that he's feigning ignorance between That's web of fear why I assumed and it was I'm going to throw it out there again, but, uh, downtime. And, uh, <laughs> but you have to, you have to think that he's feigning Ignorance and it doesn't that doesn't work so well with me. Yeah. So then it seems like they're going to fix it because as he's getting ready to jump back with Jimba Wall when Jimba Wall is doing his last effort to go home, then I have this. He says, you know, who knows if I'll even remember this. And I thought, aha, there's the fix. When he gets back, he's going to wake up and he's not going to remember anything, or he'll remember small details of I think things. It was a dream. What know what's going on and won't remember seeing his older self or is. 
And so I thought, okay, that's good. That'll that'll fix it. And then with the after credit sequence, he seems to remember everything. And I think, okay, but once he jumps back to his main time, please make him forget everything. So I don't have that problem watching Web of Fear going, uh, Travers knows more than he's letting on. This doesn't work because that's just me. That's a personal problem. Yeah, I, I kind of thought the same exact thing. I thought exactly the same thing. I sat there and kind of had the... I love Travers. I love Travers in this book. I love every scene that Travers is in. I love the conversation he has with Lethbridge Stewart. And I love the fire hose and yada, yada, yada. I thought, just like you, he's a little underused. I wish, you know, because I love how much, the, what, what he's done with everything else. I wish we would do more with him. And I had that, do we really need him in this story? And then we get to the end and I thought, well, how are you going to fix this to make it still fit within the Web of Fear continuity unless he doesn't remember so while I'm hoping that he doesn't remember, then I have to fall back on the, but if he won't remember any of these events, why did you need to bring him forward to begin with? Unless it's like you said, Keith, that there is a, unin, at least at this point, unforeseen consequence of the uh, snapping back and forth in time. And if they're going to work that in, then it will kind of work twofold for me. Yeah. That it'll it'll fix the problem and yet not derail it to the point right. where it's like, well, you didn't even need him there if you're going to fix it that <laughs> That's way. That's true. So. And had they not done... Or done the post credit scene and had him further back with other time travel adventures, it almost would have been better to have him and Sally switch positions, where he got the concussion, because then he wouldn't he would be more likely to forget the event. And that could have worked having yeah. a concussion. That could have worked traveling back in time. A little bit of uh, select amnesia. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah, it was fine. Again, I, I, I'm. It was a great reveal in the book yeah, when, when he first I'm, showed I'm up. I'm back and forth because there were moments of Travers being there that I thought were immensely wonderful and pleasurable, and, and, and I loved it. It just there's that middle section where I just don't feel like he's doing anything, and I, I didn't. It almost, almost had me questioning his reasoning for being there. So, I like the, in this book the fact that the intelligence's plan makes a lot more sense. It does, yeah, than love of fear. Yeah. It sounds probably like we're nitpicking on the book. That's the problem is it. it's such an enjoyable book that I felt like I was driving down to the things that I could find that I thought were problems. And they're not, uh, surfacely, they're not problems because overall the book is enjoyable. It's it's nonstop action. It is, All the there, there are a are... lot of times that even though I know Lethbridge Stewart's going to make it, I'm still on the edge of my chair going, oh my gosh, he could actually be in peril here. He could actually die. I mean, he does a really good job of writing Lethbridge Stewart into situations. Situations you have no idea, no way of knowing how he's going to get out. Same thing with Owen. Same thing with Travers to a point. Um, Adrian Kramer is treated so well. She's such a strong character. I love what he's done with Jonathan Bloom's treatment of the character and, and carried that on and given us some backstory on her. I'd love to see more of her in, in novels uh, coming forth. Um, Sally, again, I think I said this earlier, but she's given a lot to do finally. And I think that the, the character is treated with respect and we finally get some... Uh, great Sally moments. I was worried too because initially it starts and okay we've got Sally and she's here and she's going to be boots on the ground and this is going to be great and then she gets a headache yeah, and they ship and her back to the hotel <laughs> Yeah, and then she's drying her hair and I was like oh man here we go and, then and she missing the phone kidnapped. call and it's like oh, seriously but then the last half of the book. Yeah. Well, just really her gets... conversation, you know, her resolve to not show him weakness, to, to show that, you know, she's resolved to stop crying. She's done with that, you know, being very, you know, uh, steel-faced with him. And, and when they're having the conversations, and even after Lethbridge shows up, aiding him in the conversation with 
him, although still concerned that, you know, especially after he strikes Lethbridge Stewart, then she's quite concerned at that point yeah. because he's been hurt. But, um, yeah, she just, uh, I really, and Simon, that was another one that Simon comes along and he's this mysterious character that's running around with Owen and you have no idea who this guy I, I is. I didn't really think there was much mystery to him there's until this, the end. <laughs> there, well, there's these great, there are these great kindred spirits. He ends yeah. up, but there's at one end of a chapter they they make I can't remember I wish I could remember exactly how it's stated but Simon's looking at him with some sort of like mischievous I wish I could remember what it is it's it's is it when they're when headed they, to Central Park it, yes it's when they're headed to Central Park at the end of that chapter something is said that makes me think okay there's something up with this Simon character he's not who we think he is that was cool and then when they're at the subway entrance and they're trying to get Simon across and they won't let Owen down in the subway system and Simon ends up causing the distraction, I thought, wow, this is great. I love this character. This was really great. Yeah. And then at the end, having that phone call, because that then that's it. We don't see anything more of Simon. And I thought, oh, okay, we're done with this character. But there was that one moment that you gave me of intrigue of Simon's not who I think he is. And then that pays off at the end when he's making the phone call and they're to- he's told to keep an eye on Owen. I thought that okay, there we go. That's that has laid the groundwork for something. See, I out. took that uh, a mysterious look or whatever exchange was happening between them. I took almost as more of a romantic interest that I thought someone. See, I kind of had... had that feel while reading that also. <coughs> I didn't get anything nefarious about it. No, just the, you know. But then the end, I'd have to find the really knocked me for a loop. That was like, oh wait. I mean, like, I had almost forgotten that that was... Because I really liked Simon as a character. I thought he was great. I thought it was interesting. I thought he and Owen made a great pair and a, a fun team. And then he goes down in the melee outside the subway, causing his distraction. And we never hear from him again. And it's kind of, well, what happened? We do get some nice uh, concern from Owen even later on. Yeah, about, I hope he's wondering okay. what happened to yeah. him. hoping he's okay. He's probably in lockups somewhere but they never you know they never get back together they never reconnect over that and he's just he he, he didn't even get the you know thrown out of jail at the end of the night kind of thing <laughs> but then you get that postscript thing it's like oh okay something is much more nefarious about this yeah so yeah i was very pleased with that as well um i thought uh he did a really good job capturing the feel of new york city yeah especially in the 60s okay. i i, I totally bought that that's where this is set it had a good New York flavor <laughs> oh here it is okay walking beside him putting his cigs and lighter back in his jacket pocket Simon watched the Cornish youth closely for a moment knowing Owen was too engrossed in the skyline to see the flash of cold calculation in his eyes Oh. oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Because I, about I thought the too. same thing about the, the relationship between the two. I wondered if there was more than just a uh, plutonic relationship developing there, which I was fine with. I thought that was kind of cool. It was that line that made me think, that made me suspicious of Simon. Okay, well, this guy isn't who we think he is. That cold calculation in his eyes. Yeah. That was the moment. You're right. I, I did like, think of that at the time that came in, then I forgot about it. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could find that really quick because that was one of those moments that I thought, okay, Simon isn't all we thought. But then we get the the wonderful Simon moment with the the struggle or the uh, yeah the the distraction he makes, and then later the phone call. I think yeah. it works out really well. Uh, I don't think have we missed any characters. I mean, there was the hunky firefighter, which I thought was kind of funny that, <laughs> that Anne and, and or not Anne, uh, Sally and Adrian both were kind of. <laughs> Adrian kind of berates herself for not remembering to 
touch up her makeup or something like that. <laughs> I thought, okay, all right, that's, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, I agree with the the characterization of New York. The characterizations of the characters in New yeah. York are really good. The uh, characterization of all our main characters, yeah, are he, he's, in, in line he's with what we've voice, got before, yeah, and he's yeah. got the voice down for the characters. Um, I'm not quite sure that I understand how pumping salt water into the stations that are pumping that are allowing salt water to run in and flooding the tunnels is going to help. Help what? Stop. <laughs> well, no, it's just stopping the Yeti. To stop the Yeti. They yeah. stop the Yeti, who are guarding the stations, and they can go down and fix the machines. Right. That was the only... Pr- okay. That, that's, that yeah. was the purpose It was just to flood out that one pump station, pump station area to make sure they had all the Yeti. Okay. I liked that... Now, in the acknowledgments, he acknowledges that he did have to maybe kind of make some of this up, and he, all it, all factual inaccuracies are his and no one else's, because he did have some help. <laughs> I did have this, this point in my brain where I thought... Okay, they're going to use the fire hoses. Does, wouldn't that be fresh water? And then he does a really good job of having the uh, the captain at that one uh, fire department say, well, we use the seawater on the one side and seawater on the other side, and the reason we do that is so we don't deplete the fresh water. And I thought, okay, you fix that. That works. I, maybe they really do in real life use fresh water, but that worked for the story. <laughs> and it wasn't until... Travers gets the fire hose, and I thought, okay, surely that's not salt water. Why would you use salt water there? And I think that's where they explained that the reason why he he logically comes to the conclusion they probably use the salt water there, too, is so they do not have to use the freshwater supply on the island. And I thought, okay, you did a nice job of giving me an explanation for something. I thought, surely they don't use salt water. That's one thing this book did more than anything else I've ever seen set in New York, is really drive home the island aspect of New York City. I, I I know it's an island, abstractually. I've been there. I know it's an island. It never feels like an island because it is so big and because it is so busy. But this really drives home the island aspect yeah, of it. I think it does, It's only too. an island if you look at it from the water. Oh, the other thing that I, I felt a little puzzled by, and I don't think I got enough exposition, but I was okay with it because it may be something we derive from later is the meteor that had landed on yeah Manhattan, which that, i thought was a neat little story that the the one indian had gone mad and so they basically buried it you know said the drunken <laughs> the drunken stone and they buried it and they put it away and then when the settlers came over and they wanted to buy the island they were sure yeah you bet you have it take it you know because they they were afraid of this cursed island and the, how they derived the manhattan was supposedly from this word but it actually came from this which is yeah. the, the uh, word for whatever the guy he was the intelligence was using the name Mahatma Satma. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of a clever usage. The problem I had with that is the intelligence needs this uh, this uh, um, meteor. He sends Jimbawa to get the meteor to get the shards and the liquid that's in it. And that is he's it, it, it's almost like that's not the source of the great intelligence, but it's like an amplifier for the great intelligence, which I was OK with. But it seemed really kind of subtle at its base core as to what this thing was, where it yeah. came from and why the intelligence felt that he could use it. I mean, it worked. It worked as a vehicle. Don't get me wrong. Well, what but... helped it was the fact that they described the meteor as yellow and then the coma aspects of. The, and the rats, the yellow aspect. So I got the impression while reading it that it was whatever they infect. That's what they used to infect, infect the, rats the rats with in order to take infect out the minds. The in order so to they, use the their consciousness yeah. for the great intelligence. Yeah. And I got that as well. But it seems like it was a 
vehicle as opposed to a plot point. Does that make sense? Uh, and I don't yeah. feel like the the plot point was solid enough. Yeah, it, okay. It, it, the vehicle works. It, 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 it works great. And I hope that the, the meteorite and where it's from is maybe addressed later. It doesn't maybe necessarily have to be, but I hope it's addressed later, and that would kind of fix it as, as a plot point for me. But, yeah, right now it just felt like yeah, a vehicle. Yeah, I, I would agree. It did feel like, uh, well, we need a reason why these rats can do this. Okay, well, this is what it is. Obviously, the great intelligence was using whatever uh, energy this meteorite had yeah. to channel himself. And in order to do that, he had to spread that across the different mines and the the, the, the way he did it, the way they did it. The, the rats, we haven't even talked that much about the rats. <laughs> I was just genuinely creeped out every time yeah. we talked about swarms of rats. What a great idea and, ha- and, and, and written so well that I was So just, visually described. Oh, especially when they're attacking the phone booth with Lethbridge Stewart oh, in yeah. it. Oh, man, that was just... Ugh. The rat scenes were very Stephen King esque, yeah. almost. And there, I mean, this is a oh, so there's a, there's a flood, and everything comes up out of the out of the subways and out of the sewers, and the rats come with it. And it's like, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a movie idea right there. Mm-hmm. Do that. Push the rats to the surface. Um, yeah, I I find rats to be fairly. I think most people do uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not one of my top. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's not spiders, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, they're up there, and uh, the way that they're characterized and uh, personified, you know, in these just swarms of them, uh, it's it's creepy. Is not it was creepy. I don't think creepy goes far enough. It was it was a good yeah usage of yeah, and just the fact that you know because here's a yeti and we've seen yeti we were exposed to yeti we know what to kind of expect from the yeti, and then all of a sudden the yeti dissolves. And it's like, what? Oh, they're rats. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, then the description of them while they're on the Yetis, of the, the pulsating and the, yep. the twitching. And, yep. uh. Well, and then uh, to go one step further, the evolution of the Yeti, as you touched on earlier, and the fact that when the Yeti don't have the rats on them, they're these hulking skeletal robots, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool, too. Which I suspect may come out of the uh, Doctor Who technical manual. There's a schematic drawing of a Yeti without the shit. Oh, is there really? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what I thought of. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah. It. There you yeah. go. Good stuff. Another good book. Um, enough little issues that I did, wouldn't quite give it five stars, but it was a solid story and quite enjoyable. Four stars. Yeah, I would agree. All right, let's move on to Eve of the Fomorium. All Hallows' Eve, 1969, en route back in back to Edinburgh. Anne Travers, William Bishop, and Samson Ware come across a deserted village in the co- Scottish countryside. A village that is rotten to the core. Dun, dun, dun. It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, was, it was a fun little Halloween story. That, well, the sad thing about it was my only complaint with it is the fact that I was reading it uh, in the Christmas season and not at Halloween. Because this would have been perfect <laughs> in my countdown to Halloween. I, I always reading. appreciate any story that tries to kind of explain some sci-fi reasoning behind traditions. Yeah, And this and, is and great more, for that know, aspect Where of the it. Fomorians come from and how it's actually this, you know... Almost, I wouldn't even say extraterrestrial. It's almost interdimensional uh, yeah. beings that that have you know they always attempt to come across. October thirty first happens to be the weakest point that they can. And, and so many of our traditions come from because of what they yeah. did. And if they had, if if our heroes hadn't been there at the right time, they probably would have come through successfully this yeah. time. So, 
Um, I think the only thing that I had, I'm going to drill down to an issue with it. The only thing that I had an issue with was when uh, Anne is attacked. Yeah, when she's at the post office, she's going to the post office to find out what, if the uh, there's somebody there running the phone circuits because that's where the phone circuits would be, which was made total logical sense in a small village and never thought of that. Um, and she goes there and she's actually attacked by one of the Fomorians and she, you know, it, it enters her mind and she's, you know, screaming in pain and then she falls down and then it disappears. Yeah. And I don't know if, if, if that was supposed to be conveyed that, that, that it wasn't strong enough yet it because it had connection. taken, it had taken over everybody else in the town, had them in that little holding area in the borough where the guy had, the archeologist had dug out the area. I can't remember what they called it. I keep calling it a borough, but it was something else. I thought was, they called it that. Maybe too. they did. And, but they're all down there. He's obviously been able to, the, the former have obviously been able to take control of him, but why didn't, why weren't they able to take her? And I just don't, uh, uh, perhaps she was too intelligent. It, it could have been, but the problem is we <laughs> they, can, hit, we can sit here and surmise, yeah, but you have to tell, tell me that us, as yeah. an author, but, um, uh, a good vehicle for Bishop and Sam. I was kind of glad that they were off doing their thing. I and thought Anne it, got I, to do her own it thing. was a little suspect that they trusted Anne enough to go off on her own, but I'm glad they did I, because I, it, it, it. I don't know. I think Anne's a strong enough character that they recognize that if she, they would have fought her on that, they would have caught in the whole hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's that no that, way they would have been able to. I think that worked uh, okay. It did seem kind of. Maybe me as an old-fashioned guy, I thought you're letting her go off by herself in this creepy <laughs> town where no one, you haven't found a soul. Oh, I, I really like Sam and the little kid together yeah, too. Yeah, they were great. He he, such a a, a great character development for Sam and his, uh, Samson and his, uh, you know, uh, relation to children and how you know he connects with this kid. And, protects him and, and comforts him and makes him feel better and yeah uh, carry him around it was kind of sad when they take him down the borough and he recognizes his parents down there though oh like, yeah oh, oh and that's your emotional connection yeah. you needed too yeah. so and then sam and you know, sam samson reassures him you know at that point as well so yeah that worked really cool and i really i like the idea that they got their accidental strength this time because of the archaeologist came across the the, yep. the helmet thing. Yeah, if he'd have just left it alone. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the toll it took on him too yep. was Isn't that pretty always impressive. the way. Yeah, well, well exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a genuinely creepy story uh, all the way through. It kind of had a feel of that tenth Doctor. No, fifth Doctor story we read, where they show up in this village. Is it? Was it? part of the 50th anniversary line that sounds sort of where it was mostly from the kids perspectives oh that's right yeah yeah. it was a fifth doctor yeah yeah Yeah, it kind of had that feel to it but done right yeah absolutely yeah i had none of the issues i had with it with this story that i had with that one (laughs) absolutely it really does echoes of that yeah because it's so, and it's just the fact that they show up at this village and it's at, em, empty is just so creepy yeah, and unsettling was, to begin with. It's great, the moment, great setting. The moment where Anne goes into that house and she smells the the oil burning on the stove and she, yeah. she turns it off because she had that uh, friend of hers whose house burned down because the oil had, yeah. had yeah. caught fire and she she it, it was a moment for herself where she felt good for herself that she was able to do something. <laughs> and I also like the fact that. Uh, they were able to kind of help defeat the Fomorians with Sonic abilities. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was Primitive nice Sonic touch. abilities. Nice but, little touch. Yeah. Oh, that whole showdown there at the end with Bishop and the rifle and then trying to gain control. And yeah, that was, yeah. wow, that was, that was amazing. Paul the, Cook uh, did a good job. 
Yeah, Paul Cook. Is that, that that was the author. That was the author. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff again. Uh, my biggest complaint was the fact that I was reading at Christmas and not <laughs> Halloween, but that's that's our fault. That's a that's personal no, problem. That's nobody else's fault. That's our that's our own for holding off on it because but because of its placement, it, it I think yeah. it works well. Um, it, that being it, said, you I don't did have read it before. To, yeah, you don't okay. have to read it in the order that it is. You just have to know in your mind that it's set post. Uh, and more than anything, it's not so. <laughs> it's more you need to know that it's post lost skin. Yes. Not so much post Times Squared, right? Because it is these characters, yeah. And we don't have a resolution to Times Square, Time or uh, Lost Skin, so I don't want to wait a whole year to read that one. To Lost Skin yet, so I guess we'll just have to keep waiting on that one. And (laughs) (laughs) I guess we didn't talk about the conversation from the other side either. Oh, that's right. In uh, Times Square, well, that was Lost Skin that that conversation took. But we got Times Squared. Yeah, we got. Uh, Sally's perspective on the right. whole conversation. Right, we got the flip side of that conversation, which was really interesting as well. I always like when books do that. Uh, anything else on Eve that we want to talk about? I don't think so. Sean enjoyed it, so. I did. All right. <laughs> what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Oh, coming up next on the schedule. Um, where are we? Ba-ba-ba-ba. Friday Night Who? This week, Revenge of the Cybermen. Yay! So Cyberman. Uh, and then uh, next week we're going to do the Fourth Doctor miniseries from Titan Comics on the show. And the Supremacy of the Cybermen miniseries from Titan Comics. Uh, and the schedule is posted. It says we're going to talk about Power of the Dogs 5. We are not going to talk about Power of the Dogs 5. We're going to hold on to that. We'll do 5 and 6 together. So uh, just the comics next week, and uh, you get Fourth Doctor in one, you get Cybermen in the other, and for Friday Night Who, you get Fourth Doctor and Cybermen, so it sounds like I know what I'm doing. Well, Supremacy is another Doctor crossover, right? It, it is. is. Multi-Doctors. Multi-Doctors. Multi-doctor. Four Doctors. Actually, four Doctors this time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of one shoved in there. And, and then I, one shoved in at the end. Yeah, one at the end. <laughs> the... Uh, following week is obviously Christmas, so for Friday Night Who we're doing The Husbands of River Song, uh, and then uh, we'll come in fresh off of the episode with our uh, our look at uh, the return of Dr. Mysterio, and then uh, the following week we will have uh, what we just listed as our very Vortex Christmas special, um, but we've decided we are going to do the 12 Doctors of Christmas. It's called 12 Doctors of Christmas. Doctor Who, 12 Doctors of Christmas. Which is a book of twelve short stories that are all set in and around Christmas time, uh, featuring twelve Doctor. Well, thirteen maybe. Twelve. I'm assuming there's not a. I don't war think doctor there's a War Doctor story. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the War Doctor yeah. took time to celebrate Christmas. No, probably so. not. <laughs> no, but that would have been a great story, like in the middle of a Dalek battle or something. He gets down. <laughs> it's and, been done. <laughs> Dalek Invasion Earth. <laughs> yeah. Or not Dalek Invasion Earth. Uh, um, no, um, uh, Master Dalek Plan. Master, Master Plan. Plan. Yeah, he sat down for a Christmas special in the middle of that, so yeah. it's already been done. Well, or, or Doctor <laughs> would have had a different take on it. Anyway, we'll find out when we get there, because that's what we're going to cover for that. And then, uh, if you don't have it, you should probably go out and get uh, Time Monster. Get some John Pertwee action. We'll be splitting that one up uh, over the new year. So More as it comes. And uh, I think we have a little... We talked a little bit last week. We've got a little special thing we're going to do for uh, 
uh, New Year's Day for their our Christmas. Very Merry Christmas. A little New Year's tie in there too. So we're gonna uh, send 2016 out right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sean just had this look on his face like we do. What, what are we doing? <laughs> Yeah, um, you 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 definitely want to tune into that one. You're not going to want to miss. You're the, not going to want to miss that. The, the end of year finale. <laughs> You're right. I'd forgotten about that. All right. Um, now, I'm excited for two weeks from now. Even more so. Three weeks from now. Even more so. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you like what you hear here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, you can find that link on travelingvortex.com. On the side rail, you can click on uh, the little Patreon button. It'll take you to a page where you can uh, support us by making a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. Uh, for those of us, for those of us, for those of you that are supporting us, we thank you very much. Um, all of that money goes right back into this. Um, those con- contributions have crept up a lot, uh, or a little by little, recently. And uh, it, I, again, everybody that's increased their uh, donations uh, that that helps tremendously because uh, this it does cost money to do this podcast uh, and uh, the 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 fewer dollars that come out of our pocket uh, the better because then uh, we can put all of that money back into this podcast and continue to do uh, bigger and greater things uh, for you as the listener so thank you very much still think we've got a pledge drive on the horizon but uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to formulate with uh, Sean how we're going to do that. Also, if you've got Christmas shopping that you have yet to complete uh, and you're going to do any of that through Amazon, well, head over to our site first and click the Amazon link from there, and it'll take you right to them. Uh, or ThinkGeek. Or even ThinkGeek Think or uh, Entertainment uh, Forbidden Earth. Planet. Uh, or Tenth Planet. No, Forbidden Planet. Forbidden it's Planet. Forbidden Planet. Yep, it's Forbidden not Entertainment Planet. Earth. It's Forbidden It is. Forbidden it's Planet. both. We, do, oh, we, I have, both. we have a link well, to Entertainment Earth there. on there. Or if you want to buy something uh, that's traveling to uh, Vortex merchandise, you can use our uh, Spreadshirt store as well. You can click a link through there. So You said it right this week. I did. <laughs> I did. I'm proud of myself. We needed to give you some time off. From it. That's right. And, of course, you can also send us feedback on our website. Click the Send Feedback tab. Or you can uh, send it to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. You can also... Find us on social media and reach out to us there. All right. Anything else we need to talk about this week? No. Uh, this is obviously the uh, book club of the uh, the book. I can't say this. Driving the Vortex book of the month. Book club book of the month. I can't even say this it. This is the selection. <laughs> I got Spreadshirt out right this week. Give me a break. This is the selection for this month for the Traveling the Vortex book club on Goodreads. Right. There. There you yes. go. I had to rearrange them. Uh, so uh, we'll put a spoiler flag at the beginning, which we probably should have mentioned, but ahead of time well I, um, I should hope you knew what we were talking if you about didn't, week, you so. know. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously uh, go there and you can comment on uh, I mean you can send us your feedback we'll happily read it out next week or the week after uh, but you can also uh, go and uh, chime in with the uh, voices that are reading the books over there alright that's going to do it for this week until next week I'm Glenn I'm Sean I'm Keith cheers good night everybody be soon you have been listening to Traveling the Vortex Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.